0: And Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32 says this. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one." so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea, as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to the flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Again we take on today a large section of this letter Hebrews as we've mostly been doing in this series, quite large uh, sections, and and this time uh, ambitiously perhaps stretching from halfway through chapter 10 to halfway through chapter 12. But I think we have to do that uh, so that we don't miss what's being said here by zooming in too finely. Uh, Because in the middle there uh, is the classic chapter 11 on faith. After 10 chapters of, of laying out what Christ has done for us, as our prophet and our priest and our king in this letter, well, that has now set us up to to examine, I suppose, our, our response to Jesus when we do come to faith in him. Is our faith clear or do we need a faith fix, so to speak? That's important for us to think through as Christians because faith is key in all of this. We even say we are saved by faith in Jesus. But what exactly do we mean by that? Saved from what? Uh, clearly not from hardship and suffering in this life, as, as the rest of chapter 10 there now makes clear. Uh, if we pick it back up uh, from verse 32 there. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. When uh, they come to faith in Jesus, Christians aren't just suddenly and, and magically saved from earthly strife. So the Christian hope, therefore, is not about living the rest of this life in in only blessed and prosperous circumstances all the time. Rather, our hope is in the greater promise that Jesus gave us, the promise that this whole letter has set out so clearly and so relentlessly over and over that, that in Christ we shall receive an eternal reward, an inheritance that we will enjoy forever. A hope so great and and so eternal that it it makes all the troubles of this earthly life a lot easier to endure. Verse 34 goes on in the scripture, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession an abiding possession. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Notice that little word endurance there. We've already hit it twice, just in those first five verses we've just recapped there. and It's five times more woven through the rest of our scripture today. And what else does endurance mean but that we will necessarily go through difficult things. But we will endure everything in the here and now. We will endure it. Why? Because of that great promise that Jesus has given us. In him, we have a better thing. We have a lasting thing forever. As I say, Hebrews has laid down that hope very clearly in these first 10 chapters, bringing great clarity, therefore, to the Christian faith. We are saved from the judgment of our sin, which brings us into the presence of God. Atoned, forgiven, and washed clean of sin, we will enjoy the glory of God forever. It's our souls uh, that have been saved, verse 39, into glory. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This letter could not have been clearer on these things, really, if you think it back through. So we need to check our faith in response, therefore. What is it that we have been hoping for in Christ uh, what exactly do we think is the hope of the Christian faith? And what even is it to have faith is probably a good question too. Faith is trust at its core. Faith is trust. The Bible uses, it uses a few words interchangeably uh, on this question. Belief, trust. Faith, they all mean the same thing. It's all the same word underneath them all. They aren't just intellectual things, uh, faith and and belief, nor are they in any way vague or or, or variable things. Chapter 11 then sets us clear. Uh, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith at its core is trust. And moreover, it is trusting in what you cannot see and do not yet have. To have faith is to trust in what you do not have and you cannot yet even see. Faith is to trust in what God has promised to us in Jesus. So it's it's a hope in something different to what we have yet and know yet or can see. And it's better than what we have yet or know yet or can see. That's what it is to have faith and that's what you and I will be commended for just like the people of old were commended, verse 2. This whole back end of Hebrews now is trying to fix our eyes on that greater thing that we look forward to in Jesus, regardless of what our situation looks like right now, because our faith is based on something far, far greater than, than, than everything we could even imagine really in, in the here and now. So chapter 11 lays down examples for us of that and what that looks like. Example after example after example here of what it looks like to live by faith. Believing or trusting in what we do not have nor can see but know that God has promised to us. This is what faith looks like in action what it is to live for God's promise before we receive it in full. Uh, Faith is exemplified, uh, verse 3, is the most basic example here. Faith is exemplified in trusting that the universe we can see was created by God and we cannot see. We have that conviction, even though the empirical evidence we cannot see. Faith is like Abel. Uh, trusting that an offering to the God whom Abel could not see was a worthwhile thing to do, verse 4, a better choice uh, for him to make than what he could have enjoyed by keeping all those things back for himself. Faith is to trust that God exists, verses 5 and 6, that he rewards those who seek him. It's to trust in a future judgment not yet seen, verse 7. It's to trust in an inheritance that's not yet known, verse 8, such that you'd happily live like a nomad as as a stranger, drifting around in temporary tents because you desire something more than this life can offer, verses 9 and 10. It's to trust in, in a promise from God that is literally impossible, verse 11 and 12, literally impossible as far as everything we know of this world works like. But to trust in that promise, because it is possible for God. All those people in those first examples trusted in God's various promises, even though He is unseen, because they hoped for something better from God than what this world we can see and this life we live can bring. They wanted something better from God and they held to that faith without receiving the fullness of what God promised in their lifetime. So, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged they were strangers, exiles on the earth. People who speak like that make it clear that they're seeking a homeland they'd been uh, thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, it says. But as it is, they desire what? A better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The promise of God that biblical faith is ultimately in is the promise of heaven. It's no less than the promise of heaven. So faith is trusting God on a bigger promise. Verses 17 to 19 go on here. Even though it seems like it might undo the last promise God made because trust goes so far as to know that God can raise the dead. Faith is trusting in God's promises for the future so far as to lay down blessings on the next generation. Verses 20 and 21. Or to make decisions on where to lay your own bones to rest, verse 22. Is to trust in God without the fear of man, verse 23. Without being swayed by man's treasures, verses 24 and 25. Oh, these are big things for our modern faith to hear. Faith in God's promises is choosing to identify with Christ, verse 26 says, And despite the suffering and hardship and and lack or loss that that will bring. Did I mention trusting God without fear of man? Well, there it is again in the example of verse 27. Trusting in the coming judgment of God. Again too, verse 28. Trusting that God is bigger than his creation. Verse 29. Trusting that he's bigger than our creations. Verse 30. Trusting that all of his promises and plans will come to pass. Verse 31. And all of these things, in all of these examples, seemingly absurd, absolutely absurd as far as our earthly eyes can see. But it goes on God has used many an unlikely person in this, verse 32, if you know some of these stories. <laughs> He's used very unlikely means in some of these stories to bring about all kinds of good things in the here and now over the course of time, verses 33 to 34. Good things as he goes about his plan to fulfil his ultimate promise of heaven to his people. Some Some women even receive back their dead along the way, verse 35a. But others, in the original text here, in the middle of verse 35, but others were to endure all kinds of bad things in the here and now as God carried out his plan. Because all the while we must remember God is pursuing a promise for us that is beyond both the good and the bad of this short life that we know. And so for some of his faithful people at certain times, faith looked like this in the middle of verse 35. Some were tortured. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. The promise of God in scripture is far better than this earthly life that we now know. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, to death that is. They were sawn in two, to death that is. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, the ones we heard about because of the the good things and the victories and blessings God did through them and the ones that we heard of because of their hardship and pain and loss, all these people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised yet. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect, the ultimate promise of God for his people is still yet to come. He was waiting to bring us into that promise too and others yet, no doubt, through the Lord Jesus. See, the promise of God in Scripture is it's not about housing or postcode or, or job or, or riches or family even or, or health and well-being. Our faith is in something that we cannot yet even see properly and do not yet have. Something so glorious that that our experience here hasn't even really equipped us with the imagination we need to fully wrap our heads around it. A future life that can never end without any suffering or pain because of a close and direct and ongoing relationship with the living and almighty God we've got a taste of that now for sure if we've been brought into the faith. But but the fullness of that is still yet to come. And that fullness is far beyond what we could yet have or, or even really what we could imagine. We too, in the language of verse 13, we too are still only seeing it from afar. But it's hard to trust in a promise like that, isn't it? <laughs> In something we cannot yet see or or have or or even fully comprehend, it's hard to trust in in a promise like that, isn't it? We struggle, actually, to keep our eyes fixed on that homeland of heaven, verse 14, when when in the meantime, what's our reality? I mean, this life just seems so restrained, doesn't it? In so many ways, this life just seems restrained, Uh, Or or when we look around, I guess, and see that the Egyptians, in the language of verse 25, the Egyptians around us are prospering no end while we are going without, so very easily our eyes fall back to this land and and its treasures, and, and, and when that happens, we let our faith in God's promise be corrupted. We let it be corrupted by wanting for things that give quick fixes, Uh, things that make us feel more like our neighbours, make us feel more at home in this earth. We want to be settled, don't we? We want to be in palaces and held in high regard in our culture instead of living in tents like strangers and exiles in this world. So our eyes fall back down. We forget the promise of God. We let it get corrupted and our, our hopes fall back down to this earth. So we need scriptures like this here in Hebrews to fix our faith again. To fix our eyes again on the glorious, glorious, beyond glorious promise of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. It's hard to keep our faith clear like that too, not just when when life isn't going as I guess as positively as we would like, but so too when we quite negatively suffer. It's hard to hold our faith in this other promise when times like that in this life hit us, when suffering hits us. Come on, when serious affliction comes to us, what happens? We get locked into a battle with that. We get locked into a battle with that thing that's afflicting us, a relentless battle it becomes. It just consumes our every thought and our every hope. And our every prayer, therefore, every night and every day, locked in this battle with that thing that's afflicting us, we let our faith get corrupted. Overcoming that thing, overcoming that thing is as wonderful as if it would be if we could do that. Overcoming that thing is, is no way near. It is no way near the promise of God that is ours in Christ Jesus and for all eternity. Our Christian faith is not in that battle. Our Christian faith is in something far better than than we've ever yet even seen or had or imagined. And yet much of that 11th chapter here in Hebrews, much of this letter and, and much of these scriptures more generally in here, if you read through them, that. They don't even pretend that this life of faith is going to somehow exempt us from suffering in the here and now. Quite the contrary, in fact. It says that this life of faith will come with suffering, is what these scriptures say. Jesus himself, who, who is the end-all, be-all of our faith, He only gave us this faith that we have through his own great and awful suffering and loss. We really need these kinds of scriptures like this to fix our eyes back on Jesus and his promise, to fix our faith from the way we let it get so easily corrupted with with the desires and the complications of this earthly life. Chapter 12. despising the shame and, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Why would we think that our Christian life now, living out this faith in the promise of God that Jesus has secured for us like so, why would we think that it would somehow unfold for us without any suffering of our own? It doesn't even make sense if you think about it for a minute. You see, we haven't yet given much thought in this series as to why this letter was written to the people it was written to. But the end of chapter 10 today makes it pretty clear that they had been suffering. And as a result of their suffering, their faith was faltering. And that's pretty much what happens to us too, isn't it? And so this letter, of course, was written to us too for the very same reason. So much so that if we think ourselves to be God's people, people of faith in Jesus Christ and his promise, then, then we shouldn't just expect it. We should experience true suffering at times in this life. What do you make of verse 4 there in chapter 12 towards the end? In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. As if to say we we may have to hold on to our faith to, to that kind of point if that's what God has ahead for us. Bloodshed is, after all, what Christ suffered for us to bring us to God. The scriptures uh, give several reasons why we will now experience hardship or or lack or suffering in life. And and Hebrews here is picking up one of those reasons and giving it to us with great clarity. That sometimes these things are just part of God's plan for perfecting our faith. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, it's beautiful when you see it. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary uh, when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you're left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and and not sons i don't know if you're catching these words they're very easy to gloss over but the word of god right there in hebrews 12 says that if we don't experience the discipline of hardship and suffering in this life, as and when God should appoint it for us, then we aren't really the children of God. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. In fact, chapter 12 here basically says that God uses suffering for our good because he loves us as sons. We need to get a better handle on these words because uh, Christianity today has a very poor theology of suffering and and tainted by that, a very poor theology of faith too. So hear this clear truth in Hebrews today. Suffering in terms of this earthly stuff is, is not always a curse from God as we might instinctively take it. He also uses it for our blessing in the end. Why? Because he is reshaping us for something far better, for the eternal promise that he made to us, that we would be in his presence to behold his holiness, having been made righteous like Jesus Christ. It's kind of funny that our theology isn't actually in sync with that truth because we do, as it says here, we understand well enough that our earthly fathers would have us go without something or or would put some kind of burden or or penalty on us at times for our longer-term good and our longer-term growth and and enjoyment of all good things in verse 9. We understand that and we would do that too with our own children. But what God is doing with us who have faith is, is so much better again even than that verse 10 For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines for us for our good that we may share his holiness For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it We see from all of this that God Uh, uses suffering to strengthen our faith in in the better things that he has promised to us, which is to say he uses earthly suffering to, to fix our faith, to fix our hearts on him. Because when we do get given over to fixating on the things of this world, whether it be keeping up with the Joneses or whatever, or just wanting to be delivered from some seemingly endless health problem, or whatever it may be, when we fixate on the things of this life and forget the wondrous scope of God's promise to us, then our faith in that promise gets corrupted And so all of this long scripture today is a great corrective to fix our faith on the promise that Jesus has won for us for all eternity. So lift your drooping hands, verse 12, and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In the flow of these last couple of chapters and, and the whole letter I'd say that what has become lame uh, and at risk of being put out of joint is not the health or or wealth or or anything like that, but the faith of God's people. It's not just suddenly about uh, weakened bones or, or, or such simple earthly things, I don't think. It's all been about weakened faith, this scripture. Faith that needs to be fixed back on God and the promise he gave us, because all that God has promised us and, and Jesus has done and will yet do for us, the things that we cannot yet see or take hold of, we let those, those things, the glorious things they are, we let them fall by the wayside sometimes over, over things that will literally be here one day and, and gone some other day, who knows when. So we should take some healthy correction from all of this scripture for our faith. Those who say things like, A Christians should never have to suffer, or if only you had more faith, you could be lifted up from your suffering, or God only wants his people to be blessed all the time, uh, by which they usually have in mind something of their own earthly desire, those people who say those things, and and, and and there are many of those people, and there are many sort of ways of saying those kinds of things, well, those people, they have a wrong theology of suffering and a wrong theology of faith. They are running, in the language of chapter 12 and verse 1, they are running the wrong race. What they say denies the word of God in this scripture and in many, many other scriptures too. So please, uh, do not put those shallow ideas to the children of God. Speak to them rather from his word. He loves them as sons. Do not hinder the way God intends to use suffering to strengthen the faith of his children and fix their hearts upon what they should be fixed on, the promise that he has made to us, that Christ has died to secure for us for all eternity to come. The glory, not of of this earth and its things, but the glory of heaven. So correction number one from the epistle to the Hebrews today. In actual fact, Christians should experience suffering and if they don't, then something's wrong, says chapter 12 and verse 8. And correction number two for the children of God, when you are suffering, ask God to do this. Ask God to use it to heal your weakened faith by fixing your eyes back on him and the promise that he has made for all eternity to you it's about the hardest thing in the world though let's be honest it's about the hardest thing in the world to take on that kind of call from this scripture when when they're very thick of this struggle so if you're in that hard fight you might want to pace yourself on these lessons Maybe read this scripture again and again every day or every few days, perhaps for a while, for a few months. Don't try to hurry it to sink in. It's going to take time if you're in the thick of the fight. But gee, it's good when it sinks in. You know, even if you never win your battle with whatever that earthly thing is, even if you live the rest of your life in sheepskin and tents, Remember the actual promise of God. The actual promise of God in this scripture for which he brought you into this faith in Christ Jesus. A glory that is beyond your current comprehension is being made ready for you. That is what the promise of God says. And so we should all take some great encouragement too from this scripture today. Lift your drooping hands, brothers and sisters. Strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. We so often gloss over that list of chapter 11 in the middle there and think of it as like a hall of faith, you know, and the danger with that is that we might focus too much on the people involved and the things that they did or the things that God rather did through them. And where that tends to lead us is is into thinking things like, oh, oh, she was so faithful. How did she have such great faith? Or we look around our own circles and think things like, oh, such and such has great faith too. Or uh, wondering whether so and so has enough faith. Doesn't seem like it. Or maybe whether I have enough faith. Will my faith save me at the end of the day? Or why won't my faith deliver me from this burden or pain? But here's correction number three from the letter to Hebrews here. The call of this scripture is not about having more faith. It's about fixing our faith onto who and what it should be fixed on. What faith is actually about is trusting in God and for the promise he actually gave us. The promise that will one day see us, brothers and sisters, in glory unending. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? The promise that Jesus has secured for us forever. If our faith is fixed on Jesus and for that promise, then then nothing we have yet seen or known can compare with our prize, not even close. And this is the promise of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father we always thank you for your scriptures to us and we thank you for this letter and what it's slowly been drawing us into here and as we come into the end of it now Father we pray you be with us over these last couple of weeks and help these truths to really sink in. Thank you so much for what we see here today in this long section that that you have done amazing things for us uh, and that our faith needs to be in that. Our faith needs to be in you and for the thing that you have promised for us, and done for us, and will yet do for us. Father, we just pray that you'd help these truths to to sink in and register, and that we would be single-minded in our faith, that we wouldn't be muddled up in our faith, that we would be clear about what it is that we believe, and who it is that we are trusting. And Father, we just pray for those who are going through some of the wrestles that seem to be Uh, framed either side of this faith chapter we pray for those in our community that that are struggling and we pray that you'd help them uh, to see some of these truths about suffering that it is actually good for their faith if this is how you choose to use it for them and so we pray that you would we pray that you would enrich their faith and fix their faith on you and father we just pray for all of us uh, that you would help us Uh, to learn how to live out this faith and that we would learn how to be uh, faithful in what we think and say and do and that we'd be loving and caring and supporting of all of those Uh, for all of us uh, lord are still in this journey of faith and we pray as always that you go before us and with us and after us too in the name of the lord jesus christ amen